So, Father, we thank you for this passage, and we're asking today that you would open our eyes to see ourselves in this story. You're so good to preserve your word to us and to teach us something about yourself. And we have to, we're excited to be here this morning to learn and to grow. And Lord, we know that's not from me, that is from you. That is not from uh, the, the strategies of a church, that is from the power of your word. And so we ask you to meet with us this morning in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm going to give you a whirlwind overview to bring you up to date. Back a while prior to this, the people of God had gotten promises from God and long story short, had been then brought into the promised land. There they were in Jerusalem. Through uh, many years of bad behavior and misconduct, God continued to warn them that they needed to take his word seriously and take his, his uh, oath or his, uh, his covenant with them seriously. And they didn't. He gave them warning after warning, and eventually it was simply time for God to say, okay, I'm sorry, it's time. And so he brought them out of Jerusalem and Judea, and he brought them in to captivity. This guy named Nebuchadnezzar came in, families were messed up, kids were taken from parents, there was no king in the land anymore, there was no governor in the land, there was no normal temple worship, in fact they destroyed the temple, and and so they were in Babylon as captives for like for 70 years. Now uh, prophets came and said to the children of Israel at that time, okay, hold on, 70 years down the road, God's going to restore us. He will show himself strong. He will give us the land again. And that's when Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah says, hey, hey guys, do you know the, the, that God has a future for you? So many times we hear Jeremiah 29 and we raise our hands and we sing about how great, you know, oh, I know the, the plans I have for you to prosper you in a good future. A reminder that that was given to people who would never see it fulfilled. They were in captivity 70 years in Babylon, separated from their families, a hope for the people of God, but most of the individuals were not going to see that come to be. Well, God has now started to work. It's 70 years later, and and he brought them back. And if you remember, he had prophesied, and I'm not going to go into this long thing, but there's a guy named Cyrus who was king of Persia, and he said, okay, you can go back to Israel now. And so he allowed them to go back. And it was the beginning of God keeping his promise that he would restore them to the land. So they get back to the land. And it was uh, 538 B.C. Long story short, they start building stuff in the land. They build an altar. And they start to build the, the foundations of the temple. And they get sidetracked. There is uh, resistance there is trouble, and some of it is sort of political, and they're, they're putting things in place to impede the work of the temple, and the people themselves lose track of building the temple. They, they were released to come back to build the temple, but they lost track of it for 16 years. There's like weeds growing up in the temple. That's the John McDonald version, sorry. It doesn't say there's weeds growing up, but after 16 years, it had to be pretty nasty. It was just a heap. And so now that brings us to where we are this week. Remember, they had an altar that they established, uh, but they hadn't been working on building the temple. Chapter 5, verse 1. 
Now the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and in Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who is over them. And that brings us right off the bat to the first point. God is doing this great work of renewal. And when God does a great work of renewal, there is a renewed confidence in the word of God. And so these prophets are bringing this confidence, this first point here, that that we have now a, a confidence in the word of God that was absent prior to that. And so, again, as God brings this spiritual renewal, there's a renewed confidence in the word of God. So Haggai stands up, and he starts to prophesy. So turn with me over to Haggai. We're going to look at some of the things that Haggai said to try to uh, help them see what was really happening here. Haggai's way at the end of the Old Testament. Haggai and Zechariah are the two prophets. They're the two men of God. They're in essence saying, this is the word of God, guys. And so, so the whole point is that the people need to take the word of God seriously. Remember, they were hearing lots of detractors. The political system of the day was discouraging them from following the priority of God. Sound familiar? And so they were at this place where they they had the word of God, they knew the word of God, but they were not acting on the word of God. They were not taking it seriously. It was like uh, the prophets and the word of God was, was talking to somebody else. You ever had that in your life? Where, where you hear it and you know it, but if you look at what you're actually doing in your life, you are far from where you should be in terms of the priorities of God's word. Well, Haggai was among the people, and he says this. Look at verse 2. Haggai chapter 1, verse 2. Thus says the Lord of the hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Nah, not yet. It's been 16 years. We're, we're not ready quite yet. Verse 3, then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai. Again, the emphasis is on the powerful, heard, clear word of God. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? Verse 4 of Haggai. Are you really telling me that you can, you're okay with the concept that the house of God that you came back to build is lying in ruins while you guys all live in these beautiful paneled houses and give yourself over to, to that? Now, again, I'm not talking to you. This is what the prophet was saying to the people, that they had prioritized their own houses. They had spent resources on their own living. They, they, they didn't get that they were actually letting, again, the house of God just lay in ruins. And so Haggai lays it on the line. But you know how it is with God. When God lays it on the line, there is a hard thing that he has to say, but there is grace and mercy in him welcoming you back into his presence. He wants you to be close to him. And Haggai uh, brings this message to the people of the Lord and, and talks about uh, God's goodness to them. So, so he says, guys, verse 5 now, consider your ways. How are you living? Paneled houses for you? House of ruin for God? Really? Don't you get what the word is saying to you? Verse 6. Uh, basically, verses 6 through 9 say that while you're in the land for these 16 years, you guys have been... 
You guys have been planting things and the produce coming back to you, it's been very limited. God has been holding it down. He has not been giving a bountiful supply. You've been trying to, you've been trying to make a good life for yourself. You've been trying to uh, you know, be, be focused on you and everything you put your hand to, God is limited. We're going to see here in just a minute that when we begin to obey the Lord, he pours out blessing on us. And, and that is what the people of God needed to, to hear in this moment, that obedience precedes blessing. And so he's calling us to obey the voice of the Lord. Look at verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua. Zerubbabel is the governor and Joshua is the high priest. Um, with all the remnant of the people, they all obeyed the voice of the Lord. And you see what God is doing. The reason we're using this, this idea that when God brings spiritual renewal, that there's a time of spiritual renewal that God's working, is because of what Haggai says now here in, verse, in chapter 2. Uh, in chapter 2, uh, verse 4, Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all you people of the land. Work for, why? I am with you. God is with them in their work. And then if we see that, you see that God is, uh, he is, he is moving in their hearts. He is, uh, uh, down in verse 6, he's shaking the nations for them. In a little while, I will shake the heavens. And then he goes on and talks about how his spirit has been at work from the beginning. Do you ever think that the Holy Spirit wasn't active in the Old Testament? That, that that was a New Testament thing, that at Pentecost the Holy Spirit was poured out, and that's when we first see the Holy Spirit. Both Haggai and Zechariah emphasize the work of the Spirit. They say, guys, God is at work in our midst, and it's the Holy Spirit who is who's moving amongst us. His presence is, is manifested to us by the working of his Spirit. And so Haggai em- emphasizes that, and then Zechariah does the same thing. And I'm, I'm not going like, to go through chapter and verse through all of Zechariah, but Zechariah is saying the same thing. Guys, now is the time. Hear the word of the Lord. Take it seriously. He's looking you in the face. He wants you to, to understand the priority of God's word. He wants you to understand that the Spirit is at work you know, in the people of God as we uh, give ourselves over to him. And um, the last thing I want you guys to see is that uh, in Zechariah is that that is Zechariah is the the place where in chapter four and verse six and turn to Zechariah four six and then we'll, we'll jump back to Ezra in just a minute. This is the place in the Old Testament where you know we we hear the words not by might, not by power, but by my spirit says the Lord. They're spoken by Zechariah to Zerubbabel. Now, you and I use those words all the time whenever we want to do something that we can't get done in our own strength. This is the one place in the scriptures where God actually spoke them. And so God, through Zechariah, speaks them to Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel is asking this question, how in the world am I going to build a temple? How in the world are, are we, the few people of God who came back to build this? How are we going to build this temple? Remember this, that when Cyrus told everybody they could go back, less than 20% of the people actually went to Jerusalem. Everybody else stayed back in Babylon and were like, eh, we, we got good houses here. We're all comfortable here. It's, a, it's 900 miles. That's a long way. 
We're just going to stay here and keep working our jobs. So less than 20% of the people go back to Jerusalem. Not all of them skilled laborers. There's prophets and priests. How in the world are we going to build this? We have no money. We have no resources. God's calling us to build this temple. And Zechariah says to Zerubbabel, here's how we're going to do it. Not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit. And so back to Ezra chapter 1, all of that to say that that is what uh, Ezra was saying to Zerubbabel, the message of Haggai. It's time to work. The message of Haggai, you can't justify sitting in your beautiful paneled houses and, and not building this house for God that you came back from Babylon to build. You're called to be a part of building this. And so uh, the prophets, the, the word of God becomes a lot more serious in their life. Is, is the word of God taken seriously in your life? You devote yourself to read it? You devote yourself to understand it? You ask yourself on a regular basis, where in my life is there disobedience to what the Lord is telling me? You devote yourself seriously to rectifying those situations? You take account of where your heart is really at? You take account of what God is really saying to you? Look, this is a renewal. This is a pouring out of the Spirit. But you know what's beautiful among the people of God? We, we don't have to wait until a time of renewal. God may send a time of renewal. I pray that he will send some kind of a time of renewal on his people in the U.S. and around the world. A supernatural movement where all of us together take the word of God seriously, more seriously, and turn from some of the things we do and then prioritize what he has for us, right? But listen, here's a point of application to you. You you do not have to wait. The word is in your lap today. It's something you can take with you to your house and read and understand. All of us together. Do you know that there's an emphasis here on the corporate world? Or what I mean by that, an emphasis, on the, an emphasis on the whole body? All of us together obeying this? You see how beautiful it is when the prophets are raised up and they've got a word and the leaders are raised up and Zerubbabel has taken lead and Jeshua, the high priest, is, is in on it. He's a high priest. He's like, all right, man, I'll, I'll help build this thing. Let's go. And all of the people have this heart and the first thing we see in their heart is that they take the word of God seriously. Look at verse 4. Verses 3 and 4, there's still going to be trouble in the world around us when we take the word of God seriously. Because they start building the temple, and in verse 3 and in verse 4, there's this local governor guy, this mayor of the town, who is, who is uh, beholden to the Persian governor. So he's, he he's answers to the king. And so this work starts again, and uh, he shows up, verse 3. At the same time, Tatanai, sounds like a guy from Star Wars, doesn't it? The name Tatanai is very entertaining to me. Um, the governor of the province beyond the river, uh, he shows up and speaks to them and says, hey, um, last line of verse 3, who, who gave you permission to build here? Let's see your paperwork. Now, here's the embarrassing reality. It's been 16 years since they built. No one has the paperwork. Where, do you have permission to do this? Uh, 
So they appealed to Cyrus, and Cyrus did, in may, did indeed give them permission to build. But Cyrus is uh, 900 miles away. Well, actually, Cyrus is dead at this point. There's a new king in town. And so uh, the people say, well, we, we have permission. And the governor says, okay, listen, you can keep building while I appeal to the king to see if you actually have permission to do this. But look at verse 4. I want everybody's name. Let's, let's get a list of everybody's name here before we go here today. And it's as if the people of God, now that they're starting to obey God, the people around them, they put up another hurdle. There's another reason to stop. The people are watching them. The people are, are taking a look at what they're doing here in this moment. But my friends, when you take the word of God seriously, look at verse 5. But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews. Whose eye do you fear? The neighbor? The local authority? The king? Because if it's their eye that you're living for, you will take a step back and a step back and a step back from the work of God until you're far enough away from the work of God to appease their eye. But if verse 5 is true in your life, and you're saying, guys, at the end of the day, you know whose eye I'm focused on? The eye of God. The eye of God is on the people of God. We use the word providence. That is, he's not just watching you. He's watching over you as you accomplish his purposes. And it is such a beautiful thing to think of. Can you imagine as the names were taken and as Tat and I was going back, I'm going to put this in my report, i got to see, are these guys allowed to build? And as the people turn back to the work, verse 5, Ezra is encouraging them, saying, guys, as you turn back to the work and the people taking your name are going down the street to figure out if you're allowed to do this, take your delight in this, that when you prioritize the word of God, when you follow after him, he will start to bless you and his eye is on you. Whose eye are you focused on today? You know that God is watching you? Do you know that under his watchful eye, he is going to overcome the kings of this land? Do you know that there's no election, there's no king, there's no leader, there's no moment in history that God hasn't used for his purposes in history? Boy, it's so easy to start looking at the eyes of the people around us that seem to be looking at us and forget that the eye of God is on us. Guys, this is a conviction in our heart. And, and I'm not trying to make you convicted about the pro- profound nature of what God's word says here. But here's what I'm asking today. That the Lord would provide conv- conviction for all of us. That it is time right now to take his word seriously. It is time right now to line up my life with the word of God and ask where are their inconsistencies? Where, in what way am I living in the paneled house house while the house of God lays in ruins? In what way is my life about me 
In what way is my life about the eyes that are on me from the local officials and from the government? In what ways have I forgotten that it's the eye of God that I need to be most concerned about? Incidentally, before we move on, I'm just going to read one passage in Psalm and where it speaks about the eye of God. And so in, in Psalm uh, 33, verse 18, it's not very... We see the hand of God referenced. We understand the arm of God, but very rarely are we, do we hear about the, the eye of God. But in Psalm 33, the psalmist writes this. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who... Fear him on those who hope in his steadfast love. And again, we see this natural progression. We see the eye of God on us. We're obeying him by taking his word seriously. And then the blessing flows. You say, well, what do you mean the blessing flows? Well, we move on to verse or to our second concept. And so now we're over in chapter 6, verse 13. Because when God brings a spiritual renewal, not only are we all taking the word of God much more seriously, and we we have a confidence in the word of God, but also there's a, a renewed motive to work among God's people. So we are motivated to do what God has called us to do together. We all stop making excuses. We all stop focusing on just our own thing. And we give ourselves over to the priorities of of God. There's a renewal. So let's look at verse 13 of chapter 6. Then, according to the word sent by Darius the king, Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar Bozani, I just want to say Shethar Bozani as many times as I can today, and their associates did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. Let me just make the long story short. They found in the records where Cyrus had given permission for the, Jude, the people of Judah to go back to Jerusalem. That's number one. It was backed up. Number two, there's a new king in town. So they didn't have permission from the new king. Maybe the new king is going to say, yeah, I, Cyrus gave you permission, but I don't give you permission. But Darius sees what Cyrus had given the, the people of God permission to do, and he one-ups them. He says, yeah, not only can you go back there, but I tell you what, governor, I tell you, I tell you what, Tatanai, I want you to provide for him money. I want you to provide for them resources, and I want you to do it immediately. So here's all this money to give them. I want you to give it to them. A few years ago, Nikki and I and a group of students from our church went to New Orleans, and we uh, were a part of helping after Hurricane Katrina went through there, and it was a privilege to help But the the heart of the people was so broken because the government, the federal government, had given uh, the, the authorities of Louisiana and New Orleans tons of money. But they would not give the money to the people. They had this tons of money in the bank and they were earning interest off it and they wouldn't actually distribute it to the people. And so the, the king here says, look, I'm, I'm giving you this money to do this, and I want you to immediately get the money into the hands of these, these Jewish people so they can rebuild their temple. Here's the point. God turns the heart of every king exactly where he wants it. There's no king that's going to get on the throne, not in the U.S., not in Russia, not in North Korea, 
There is not one place in the world where there's going to be a king who moves out from under the authority of God and does something that doesn't accomplish his purposes. You know that? Now, could there be me being dragged into captivity? Yeah. Could there be a season of ugliness and brokenness? Yeah, there could be. But even if there's a season of ugliness and brokenness, God will be faithful to his word. He will bring all history to his appointed ends using any president and any political leader for his purposes. And here we've got Cyrus, for God only knows why, saying, yeah, you can go back to to Jerusalem. And the next king, uh, Darius, saying, let me one-up that and make sure they have plenty of money. God can do that. Don't, Don't worry about the future. I talked to so many parents who are like, oh, I'm so worried about the future of this world because look at what my kids and my grandkids are going to have to to be raised in. Can can I say this to you? Here's what your kids are going to be raised in. Day by day, they're going to have to trust that God has a good future for his people, just like you have had to trust that. Do you have that hope? There's a good future coming. Future where every eye sees the power of God. A future where every heart perceives and understands only Jesus can save from sin. Don't try to hide your children from the future. Prepare your children for the future because God is at work in profound ways. And verse 13 shows us that the government, the government, Darius and Tatanai, they were used of God to accomplish his purposes. Verse 14. Not only is there a blessing on the people of God when they obey, when they start to obey, but verse 14, and the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Iddo. We're back to this concept of uh, the word of the Lord. Haggai and Zechariah have prophesied, and now that the people are working... There's blessing that comes. And you see there in verse 14, the elders and the youth built and prospered. At first, they built all this stuff, or they, they planted all this stuff, and God was withholding the dew. He was withholding the produce. And guys, that, that is so true. In my life, when I am not walking in obedience to the Lord, I don't know that I'd call it a curse, but I can say this, the blessing's not there. But when you begin, and again, obedience comes first. When you begin to walk with the Lord, taking his word seriously, you're walking with him, the blessing of the Lord flows out. And the first blessing is just the fact that you heard and and responded to the word. And so now, they're going to plant, and from the time they started building, the... the, uh, The ground gave forth its produce, and there was incredible fruit, and there was incredible blessing. For 16 years, the temple of the Lord laid undone, and when they had a heart to start to work, four and a half years later, the work was done. That is incredible to think that they waited for 16 years, but then in four and a half years, the Lord uh, gave them that kind of return on their investment. Verse 15. Excuse me, let's go back to verse 14. The elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. They finished their building, how? By decree of the God of Israel. 
And you can almost hear the words of Zechariah, can't you? How are we going to do this? Oh, that's not going to be by might. And that's not going to be by power. That's going to be by my spirit. Zechariah speaks that to Zerubbabel, and it's almost as if Zerubbabel turns and looks at the people and says, I don't know how we did this, but here's what I can tell you. It was by the word, it was by the decree of God. Now, does God work in the heart of Cyrus? Does God work uh, in the heart of Darius? There's a reference here to the, uh, a decree that comes forth from Artaxerxes, but actually we'll look at that next week. It's as, it's as if Ze- Zechariah is saying, well, now that we have these decrees and we've, we've built by the word and the power of God, I know that there's a future where that Artaxerxes is going to give us uh, a positive uh, decree as well. And next week in chapter 7, we're going to see Artaxerxes making uh, a decree that helped the people of God again. This house was finished the third day of the month of Adar, verse 15, in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. Verse 16. And the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites, note the reference to all of us, all of us together. The rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house to the Lord. Guys, this was not just a a finished building. This wasn't just we've got a roof over our head. Do you see all the things that have happened in their life in 70 years? Go way back to the beginning, Genesis 3. God promised that there would be a redeemer in Genesis 3.15. It was going to come through his people. And when they were taken captive to Babylon, the natural question is, oh my goodness, how is a redeemer going to come into this world? Well, now that we're scattered all over the face of the world. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God promises you're going to have land. And it's going to come through Abraham. They had had the land through Abraham. It was beautiful. But through their own disobedience, they were dispersed from the place. And so the natural question on all of their hearts for 70 questions is, well, or 70 years is, we, we had a, a way to see Messiah come into the world. Now how are we going to do that? We had a land that God had given to us. Well, how are we going to do that? We don't have land. 2 Samuel 7, verse 14. God promises that through David's reign, there's going to be a king on the throne all the way through, and he's talking about Jesus. How's he going to do that? Do you see all that was lost in the hearts of the people of Israel when they were brought into captivity? Where is the king? Where is the redeemer? Where is the land? How will we have that king? How will there be a covenant that we we can call our own when we're scattered all over the face of the earth? And here God had come to them and spoken in Jeremiah and said, guys, just wait, 70 years. This, this This time is just a time where I am going to transform you. I am going to purify you. I am going to teach you. I am going to discipline you because the way you were living your life was as if you were not my people anyway. So the people had a renewed motive to work because they had hope in their hearts. Think of that. They're back in Jerusalem. They're back at the temple. They're building for the glory of God. Here in this passage, they have now reestablished the priesthood. They have reestablished the activities of the temple. They are now offering a sin offering, not just for them, but if you read in verses 17 and 18, they, they uh, have brought a, 
sacrifice, not just for them who came back, not just for the 20%, they're offering a sin offering for the 100% because they love their brothers and sisters. It's a profound moment in the life of the Jews as they come back into Jerusalem, and they celebrate this with joy. So there's a renewed motive to work when you know that the future is good, and you know that God's at work. Guys, do you know that God's at work? Do you know that he's at work building his kingdom? Do you know that you and I are all called to the same thing? Matthew 28, make disciples. Our heart beating as one man for one thing, because he hasn't promised to build us a building here. He has promised to build his church until he comes. And he has asked you and he has asked me to be a part of it. Are you a part of it? Do you read the word of God and, and does it convict your heart where you're not working on behalf of building God's kingdom in some active way? I'm going to use this as an illustration because you can serve the kingdom of God outside the church. But I'm going to use the, the serving the Lord here in, this, in, in the church life as an example for us. We, we cannot accept 80% unemployment. That's what would have happened here in Ezra. Again, five-sixths of the people stayed back, one-sixth went. That means 17% went to Jerusalem. And then, uh, then Haggai and Zechariah got up in their face and said, guys, it's time to work. It is time to work because the word of God is calling you and me to work. Where are you working? Where are you serving? It is so easy for me to just take a step back and say, well, you know what? I'm not going to prioritize actually obeying the Lord here. Haggai says, what happens is I've got the busyness of my keeping up my house. That's what I'm most focused on. So I don't really have time to serve the Lord. Hope he understands. And Haggai and Zechariah would get up right in our grill and say, not angrily, but because of the goodness and beauty and the grace and mercy of God. Let's take his word seriously and let's serve the Lord together. Let's do work together on the streets of Sheboygan, in Awana, in, in uh, our Good News Club. Do you guys know that we have a, an Awana ministry that serves on Wednesday night and they hear of the hope of Jesus every week, all year long? You guys know that we have something called Good News Club? You guys know we have a youth group where we are teaching our 7th through 12th grade students how to love Jesus with all their heart, mind, and soul? How to overcome obstacles in this world? You guys know that we have adult Bible fellowships? And that's just code for a place where we can all learn the Bible better on Sunday mornings. There are all sorts of places that we can serve. If we take the Word of God seriously, then we will work in his service, seriously. And uh, I just want to emphasize again, we do that because we know the future of this world, the future of this world is not characterized by destruction, drug abuse, brokenness. It's not characterized by human trafficking. It's not characterized by death. The future of this world is characterized by a sovereign loving God who has won the victory in Jesus Christ. Jesus has risen the third day for the forgiveness of sins. There's a hope that's going to be put forth and every eye will see the glory of God. So we're working together. 
to be a part of what God's doing in this world. What is your hopeful priority as you serve God, as you serve God's kingdom? Finally, when God brings spiritual renewal, there's a renewed pursuit of holiness among his people. You see what God's doing here? Uh, Look down at verse 19, because now we've got the temple working again, and we can look back, and we've got the word central again. And now in verse 19, on the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover. Can you imagine that moment? Where they remind one another that they were slaves in Egypt, but God came and brought them out. And he was faithful. And right after that, they had to run and go so quickly that they couldn't, they didn't have the leavened bread. And so then, verse 20, for the priests and Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were clean, so they slaughtered the Passover lamb uh, for all the returned exiles and for their fellow priests and for themselves. And then verse 21, it was eaten by the people. Okay, I'm going to make a point and then come back to that, okay? Um, The Passover is for all who will come. You see that? It seems like there's people in the land who had been living in Judah for 70 years and making a lot of compromises and doing a lot of bad stuff. And when the exiles came back and started building the temple, and now the the temple is at work again, God is not angry with those people. He's calling them back to himself, saying, now that the temple's at work again, separate yourself. We're going to look at that next week, too, in in chapter 7. Separate yourself from the culture around you. Separate yourself from the, the old sinful life that your heart would live otherwise, and purify yourself before the Lord. Come back into my presence and live under my under my authority is the concept. Guys, when, when God's at work in this place, we want to be holy. We want to put sin behind us. We want to prioritize his priorities. And so that is what we should expect God doing in this place as he uh, does this act of spiritual renewal. Verse 20, uh, 22, they kept the feast of the unleavened bread Seven days, listen, with joy. And so the temple is, in essence, they're saying the temple is open again, and we are, it, it's, being, it's being used to minister the word and to minister the presence of God to God's people. For the Lord had made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Now, from the beginning of chapter 5 to the end of chapter 6, most of this is about this truth that God turns the heart of the kings of the world to do his bidding how he wants it done. But it's very interesting to note two things about these last couple verses. Number one, it's written in Hebrew. Uh, All the rest of this passage is written in Aramaic. I say that because, the, the, for instance, the decision of Cyrus would have been written in a common language. Here's the point of it, though. Ezra wants the people of God to listen in. He just wants them to hear this very clearly. So he's writing in Hebrew now these last couple verses. He wants them to see what God has done. Look at verse 22. Because really, the the king's decisions that had been passed down were the king of Persia. It was all about Cyrus and Darius. But look what it says in verse 22. He turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them. And now here is the point that Ezra is making to the people of God right now. 
He's saying, don't just look at what God did in restoring the temple. Let's go all the way back to Nebuchadnezzar. Do you remember when you were serving under Nebuchadnezzar and your king was a bad king and your priests were not dedicated to me? They were not purified? I didn't want that kind of worship, God might say. And so while these 70 years were very difficult on you and they were dark days and families were were taken apart and separated from one another and there was weeping and trouble Look at how God worked in the king of Assyria's heart to bring you captive so that 70 years later when he brought us back to this place, look what God has done for us. He has brought us back home. He has purified our leadership. Zerubbabel is all about Jesus. He's all about God. He's all about the making much of God. He has purified our priests. He, he, in Hebrew, makes special emphasis to say, look at how our priests are now purified in the way that they lead us into worshiping the Lord God. Here's my point. In the midst of broken, dark, ugly, hard days, there's a hopeful future for you. If you hang on to the Lord, if you trust him, if you learn the lessons that he's teaching you. Because he wants to take this day when all you can look at is, is Nebuchadnezzar and separation and lost hope and how is God ever going to bring a, a, a savior into Israel? We don't have land, we don't have temple, we don't have anything together as God's people. And here Ezra emphasizes and says, That's part of the goodness of God. He disciplined you. He disciplined you to long for him. He disciplined you to take his word seriously. He disciplined you to put your heart to the work of his kingdom. And he brought in you a new passion for his holiness that would not have come if he hadn't turned the hearts of the king first to discipline you and then to restore you. My friends, we live in an awesome day in this world. Do not let fear of the future and the fear of the eyes of your neighbors on you hold you down and limit your obedience. Because obedience brings blessing. And this blessing, as we take the word of God seriously, it brings work. And as we work together for the kingdom of God and devote ourselves to being his holy people, he is going to bless the whole world through your life. That is profound. It's our heart looking forward. Not bound by the what-ifs, not bound by a darkness, but unleashed by a good God who has a good future for your kids and grandkids as they learn to trust him day by day by day. Let's stand together. Close in prayer. So, Father, I pray in this place together we are developing a conviction about your word that we will take it seriously. I pray today, Lord, that we are developing together a hopeful obedience in you, that we know that as we give our hearts over to serve you, you're going to use that. And there is a future that is unbelievable for our kids and grandkids and for us. Some of us might not even see some of those days, and that's okay, for you're God of the ages. And Father, I pray for each one of us that we would submit ourselves to a joyful holiness 
so thankful that we are learning that nothing in this world will bring our hearts peace and happiness. But our peace and happiness comes from being in you and staying with you. And so we commit ourselves to you this morning, praying your blessing over us now. In Jesus' name, amen.